Well, good morning, church. You know, I want to take a moment and uh, I just want to praise God for a few things that as I sometimes, uh, what they call it, a state of the union speech, but it's not that, right? Um, it's a moment when you sort of stop and you sort of look at what's going on in the life of the church and just say, God is good. Yeah. Um, I, this past week, I watched uh, the youth group go into action as they delivered like 25, 26 goodie bags, just to different people in the church. Some people are shut in. Some people are widows. Some people had gone through surgery. Some people just needed maybe a little love. Some people are like, they're always blessing us. Let's bless them back. And, and so uh, they went out, and we, we, we got most everything delivered. And, and when they got back, I, I was sort of looking at all the, the youth leaders and the, and the students, and the question was asked, how many of you prayed compared to your youth leaders praying? And, and there's like 62 kids here, and 80% of the hands shot up in here that they had a chance to pray. And I was like, that's, that's awesome. Your kids are praying. And, um, and so I look at that moment. I look at uh, this past Thursday at the food pantry. Uh, usually the third Wednesday of the month is one of the slowest I'm sorry, Thursdays of the month. It's one of the slowest Thursdays of the month. There's, we'll have anywhere from 70 to 80 people come in on an average on a monthly basis. Usually, third Thursday is like seven, eight people, maybe nine. And so, again, we have a great team of people that come in and serve on Thursdays to feed people. And uh, I'm thinking, ah, seven, eight people. I'm, I'm going to go do a visit. So at 11.45, I'd scheduled a visit. Well, it just so happened that on that day, uh, they had like over 30 people come in. And, uh, and I'm like, well, I can't cancel my visit now. So I looked at those that were here serving, and I, you know how good it is to feel to, you can just leave, and everybody just does what they're supposed to do? And that was that moment. It was like, you guys are good. Thank you for serving. Thank you for loving others. And I've seen moments like that in small group Bible studies. Uh, there's some upcoming events. Uh, every Sunday morning at 8.40 and 10.10, I'd really encourage you, uh, step into this room with a couple ladies, uh, and, and they're, they're praying for the service. We need more people praying for our worship service, you know. So if you're like, well, if I want to come a little bit early, come on and pray, please do. I mean, that, that's the faithfulness of the church and love and action. And I just want to say thank you all for your, the way you've served, the way you love others. Uh, I understand this about our church. Um, we've always said Sunday morning is, is, is our focus. We really want to have a place where we can come in and love God with everything we got, with all of our heart, soul, mind, right? We, we want to worship Him. Now, the rest of the week, we just want to be the church. So if we have a program, an activity, a Bible study going on, that, that's like the icing on the top. I mean, that's, even, that's, that's good stuff. But our foundation is what we're doing right here. And we've always said, let's, let's build on that. And I just, I guess for me, I wanted to, to sort of say to you, church, thank you. Uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart for how you come faithfully, not only to worship God, but to serve and to love others. Uh, that, that's, that's who True North is. Grab your Bibles, please. Uh, you're going to be opening up to Romans chapter 8. It'll be a few minutes before we get there, but we will eventually land there in Romans 8. Um, Lupe uh, read this morning uh, that the main scripture we're going to be hitting. Did you see the shirt he was wearing? Okay, for those of you that, that uh, understand Spanish, you, you got it right away. For those of us who, who didn't catch it, I, he's wearing a red shirt and said, uh, it looked like he said, Team O. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, he's got, what team is he supporting? Team O. No, it's Te Amo. I love you. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, there's, there's a space between the E and the, the, the A. And I didn't catch that right away. And um, he came up to me after church, and, and he said, man, God is good. You know, 
what you're preaching on. And, and I, I don't know why, I just wore this shirt today. And, and I looked at him and going, yeah, Timo. And he goes, no, no, Te Amo. Te Amo. I, said, I love you. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so just sort of keep that in mind because he got up and he read the, this morning's scripture. It was, it was so good. All right, with all that in mind, I, I want you to think about this. Um, I want you to rewind. We're going to rewind a couple thousand years ago to an event, a, a special moment. It was like a holiday. It was a holy day. And if you've ever um, had a family come over for, for holidays, gatherings, maybe it wasn't even a holiday. Maybe it's just a special event. You have people coming over to your place or you're going over to somebody else's place, family gathering, whatever it may be. And you thought it was going to be the most awesome family reunion, holiday moment. I mean, Hallmark's calling you up for the script and how great it was, right? And it's like, but then it all goes bad. You know, somebody got sick. Somebody broke something. There's an argument that broke out. And it's like, all of a sudden, that special moment that you thought this was going to be special ends up not being special. Been there? Let's rewind a couple thousand years ago because the same thing happened with Jesus. They were together celebrating, getting ready to celebrate the Passover. Now, Jesus and his disciples, they were going to gather in this prepared room. And the Passover basically uh, commemorated the night that the Israelites were freed from Egypt. God passed over the homes that were marked by the Lamb's blood. And he passed over those homes. But if there was a home without the markings on the doorway, then the oldest son was uh, put to death, um, the firstborn. Now, the day of Passover then followed by a seven-day uh, festival called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. This, too, was connected to the Israelites' quick escape from Egypt. They didn't have time to break, uh, bake their bread and let it rise, so they baked it without yeast. So the Passover, basically they would gather together to look back to how God rescued the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they often baked the same kind of breads and, and had the same kind of foods that they did then. That's what was part of the Passover. They would celebrate that together. So again, you're thinking, Jesus and his disciples coming together for the Passover. This is going to be one of those, those great gatherings, a, a holy moment, a holiday moment, a moment in which, like, what could go wrong, right? Well, as beautiful and memorable as the moment was to be, a few things took place, a few unfortunate things took place. Before they gathered, let's get a couple facts out on the table here so we're aware of what's happening. Before they gathered, Judas, who is one of the 12 disciples, he went to the religious leaders who hated Jesus and cut a deal with them for 30 pieces of silver. Basically, if I find the right opportunity, I'm going to turn Jesus into you, and you can do what you want to do with Jesus. That was one of the disciples of Jesus. That was Judas, right? So you find that in Matthew 26. Soon after this, Jesus says, knowing that the time had come, he knew, you know what, it's my last days. It's time for me to, uh, to ascend into heaven. Um, everything's coming to an end here. He shares that with his disciples, basically says, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving here soon. So before the Passover even begins, there's a few disappointments getting launched into the campment of the disciples and Jesus. That evening comes. They arrive at the house. They enter a room where there's no servant to wash their feet. Now understand that when guests arrived at a house, there's usually a servant there with a water basin and a towel, and they would wash your feet because as you recline to eat, your feet are probably going to get near the face of somebody. So you had to have clean feet. That was part of what they did. But nobody was in there. 
So as the disciples, they're, they're walking in, Jesus ends up grabbing the towel and the water basin and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. Now this is sort of a face slap in the disciples who just earlier have been arguing as they're walking along, hey, who's the greatest disciple? I don't know, I think I'm the greatest disciple. You ever seen all the things I've done for Jesus? You ever things I've done for people? Oh, look at me. And they're, they're like touting about who's the greatest. And then they get in there and nobody will serve. But the greatest, who is Jesus, begins to serve. Oof. Sort of an awkward moment, right? Well, they sit down, they begin to eat. And Jesus announces, he says this, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. Now, I don't know if there's an awkward pause as he looks around the room. I, we don't know. But then this discussion begins amongst the disciples. Like, is it me? Is it, is it me? Is it, Jesus, is it me? And it says in Matthew 26, he replied, one of you has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Whew. A little bit harsh, isn't it? But then Judas chimes in. He's like, <clears throat> is it me, Jesus? You know, everybody else is saying it. So why not Judas? Judas is like, is it me? You know, sort of throw everybody off because maybe he hasn't said anything yet. I don't know. We weren't there. But Jesus says, you've said it. And then it's like, Judas is like, <clears throat> really? Um, hey, so uh, uh, how about those donkeys outside? You know, try, I don't know. They try to change subjects. I don't know. But, it's, you know, Judas, you've already plotted with the religious leaders. And you're leaning up by Jesus. Is it me? We know it's you. He knows it's you, right? And, and so how is Jesus feeling during all this? So if you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, and you put them together, and you try to figure out the chronological order for how all this was unfolding, part of this, what's going on during this time in John 13, 21, we found out the emotions of Jesus as all of this is unfolding. Because this is a great holiday, a great holy moment, Right? And Jesus, we read in Scripture, says, was deeply troubled. I mean, this isn't a, I know it's, I know it's all going on and it's going to happen without emotion. No, there, Jesus knows. And it hurts. It's like, I'm going to be betrayed. The end's coming. And, and so the cup and the bread are being passed. And somewhere in that moment, Judas leaves. And nobody bats an eye. Nobody says anything, right? It's, it's one of those, let's just be a good Christian and not address the elephant in the room or the Judas in the room, right? We're just not going to talk about it, okay? Hey, uh, well, there goes Judas. Probably going to go take care of some treasury items. He's our, our treasurer or whatever. And nobody says anything. But what's worse, we read in Luke 22 that they once again begin this discussion. Hey, let's get back to our discussion earlier. Who's the greatest? Let's, let's talk about this again. Who's the greatest? Now, after this, we understand when you're reading through the book of John, John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, there's some great discussion there by Jesus as he talks about prayer, as he talks about um, some great teaching and, and a command to love one another just as Jesus loved them. So there's all this that goes on in that upper room. And then we read in Matthew 26, 30, that they sang this hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. And on the way, Jesus, you know, as, as they're going out, Jesus says, oh, by the way, tonight one of you is going to desert, all of you are going to desert me. That's Matthew 26, 31. 
It's like, oh, wow. It's like the bummer continues. Like, Jesus, you know, it's sort of rough up there. I mean, telling us one that, you know, the time is coming. We're coming to an end. Somebody's going to betray you. And, and now you're like, somebody's going to, we're all going to desert you. Like, come on, Jesus, right? And Peter's like, not me. I mean, Peter, Peter is not me. And Jesus says what? Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You deny, you're going to deny that you ever knew me. I mean, this doesn't sound like a great holiday gathering, does it? <laughs> this doesn't sound like a great holy moment. You know, arguments, lack of love, lack of serving, sorrow of Jesus. Hey, I'm, I'm leaving. You're, somebody's betraying me. You're all going to desert me. It's like, great party. Let's go pray. All right? What just happened a few days earlier? Do you remember that moment when Jesus comes riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem? And everyone is singing, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And they're praising Jesus, right? And now he's like, not feeling it. You know, there's there some good moments in, when they were in the upper room. I mean, one of the better moments was when they were sitting around and Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, but also in me. And he goes on to tell them about eternity. And he's like, I don't want you to be troubled. Listen, I'm promising you an eternal home. I'm promising you the Holy Spirit. I might physically be gone, but my spirit is coming. The bad news is it's inevitable, but Jesus reassured him, it's going to be okay. Because see, Jesus was doing this in this moment. He was embracing his disciples, letting them know, despite everything that just took place, I still love you. I love you, and I want you to know it. But were they convinced? I mean, they, they followed Jesus, but were they convinced of what was going to happen that it would be okay? Would things come out good in the end? I mean, over the next few months, this is what we're going to do here in this church. We're going to learn a little bit more about what took place from the night they had the Last Supper to the moment Jesus resurrected from the dead. The next two months, we're just going to focus on that and that alone. And we're going to see how the love of God is shown through Jesus and how the love of Jesus encompasses all of us. He's like, it's inseparable. It's like, I want to embrace you. Matter of fact, uh, we're going to call this new sermon series Embraced by Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, between now and Easter, I want you to know, first of all, God has embraced our condition. He looks at us. He knows that we can be very fickle. He knows that we can be, oh, I love you, Jesus, but then we're cursing somebody the next moment. He, he knows that we can be uh, sinners and messed up and all that, uh, do obedience one minute and disobedience the next. And God says, I'm embracing your condition. We're also going to learn that, that God has embraced the plan. You know what the plan is, right? He's going to send Jesus to die. That's, the, that's his plan. That's his rescue moment for us. And God embraced the plan. God embraced the pain through Jesus. The beatings, the trials, the scourging, the cross. Very painful, right? God has embraced us with his love. It's a love that's victorious and eternal. And God embraces us through Jesus. That's what we're going to be looking at. And I want you to think about this. When you embrace somebody, when you hug somebody, typically, typically, there's no gap. Depends the kind of hugger you are, okay? Okay. Um, 
I was never a hugger growing up. Our family was, are not, we're not really huggers, at least that I was aware of. I don't remember even telling my mom and dad verbally that I loved them until I went to college. Now, I'm sure as a kid, we, you know, there's love expressed in our house, and we probably wrote on Valentine's cards and Christmas cards, and I love you. I, I, we weren't the kind of family, I don't remember hearing it, um, me saying it, but when I got home that first weekend from college, that was one of the first things I did. Mom, Dad, I love you. Gave him a hug. And then from that moment on, it was a hug and a kiss and an I love you. Every time I saw him. Even to the point when my dad uh, was, was uh, aging in his 80s, even when I would drive over from here to there, walk in the door, give him a hug, give him a kiss, tell him I love him. That's what we do. That's, that's where things started to change with me. So then all of a sudden they start Hugging a little bit more, you know. Some of you in here are huggers. Some of you are not, okay? And for those of you that are not huggers, we love making you feel uncomfortable. Just want to make sure you know that, okay? Right, Mike? All right, yeah. So, but here's the, here's the thing. When, when, when you hug, and my, again, my family, it's working on this, okay? Because some of my brothers are still not really huggers. And over the last couple of years, a couple of my brothers are starting to pull it in a little bit. They're like, they're like but they're stiff as a board. They're like, like, that's not a hug, man. But we'll get there. But here's the thing. When you, get, when you fully embrace somebody and hug somebody, there's no gap in between. Right? There's, there's, no, there's no space in between. And I was thinking about this. That's the way when God embraces us. There's, there's no gap between us and God's love. Between God's intentions and God's actions, there's no gap. Between his attributes and between his behavior, there, there's no gaps. There's no gap between his love and us. His love encompasses us. It, we're inseparable from his love. We are embraced. And as you scan through the Bible... You'll find men and women who love God. They face difficult situations. They suffered rejection from friends. They were persecuted from the government. They were, had physical pain. And a few even spent time in a prison cell. But regardless of what happened to these men and women of God, nothing separated them from the love of God. They were still embraced by God's love. Now, hopefully you're at Romans chapter 8. If you're not, go ahead and get there. Romans 8, starting in verse 38. And these are sort of the verses that are going to help set the tone for the next couple months. And then we're going to be in the New Testament and the gospel stories of Jesus as we go through this. Starting in verse 38. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as Lupe read that this morning for the call to worship and with the te amo, I love you, he's reading about the love of God. He read it really slow, and I appreciated that. I didn't tell him to do that, but I noticed that he did. And it allowed some time to sort of soak into what God's word was saying. And I want to do that now. I want to just sort of pause and let's just focus on these verses. I want you to understand the embrace of God, that his love is inseparable. The apostle began by saying, I am convinced I'm persuaded. He was basically, he was swayed from one opinion to another opinion. Have you ever had your opinion changed before? It's like after you got a few more facts or something like, yeah, you know what, now I'm going to change my opinion on this. 
here's what happened. He's saying that he's been coaxed to a particular conviction of some sort, and now he's going to embrace a different one. He used to believe something over here. Now he's believing something over here. And the, the tense of the word implies that it was a persuasion that occurred Paul in the past, but it's still so strong that it's going to continue to the conviction in the present. Basically this. He's, he's saying, listen, I'm persuaded. I, I'm convinced because there was something I used to believe. I used to believe Jesus was the enemy. Matter of fact, Paul, his name originally was Saul, used to hunt down Christians and persecute them, kill them, put them in prison. He, was con- he thought, this is my, this way, this is who Jesus is. He's the enemy. And something happened. He saw the light, right, if you know the story. All of a sudden, he's convinced that Jesus is not the enemy, but Jesus is his Savior. And now he's convinced that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He's fully convinced. Matter of fact, he's continually being convinced despite put in prison, persecution. You keep naming it. doesn't matter. Whatever's come his way, his, this tense that he writes here is basically saying, I'm, I'm convinced. Can't change my mind. You won't change my mind. And it's funny because for some reason, our minds often change about that, or at least our expression of what we believe changes. I want you to think about this. When you were children, you probably attended Sunday school, vacation Bible school, children's church, one of those things, right? And as a child, you probably sang the song, Jesus loves me, right? Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. Yeah, so you all sang that song. You know the song, right? And as a little child, you love Jesus. Like, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. You go to school and you would tell kids at school, I love Jesus. Hey, I go to church. I love Jesus, right? But here's the thing. You were convinced. You decided at a young age, I love Jesus. Even though maybe you didn't fully understand it, you learned to love him. But then we get to middle school and high school. And things change because you walk around saying, I love Jesus. You get laughed at. You get persecuted. You get made fun of because like, oh, I love Jesus. <laughs> you love Jesus. Jesus loved Let's post that one. Let's, let's, just, let's just make fun of them. Yeah. And it feels good, right? And it's like, today, persecution comes in different forms. That's one of them. And the, the, for some reason, then we're like, oh, I better not talk about Jesus. I better not let everybody know. I'll secretly go to youth group or I'll secretly do this or I'll do it, but I'm not going to really make a big deal about it because, you know, there's other things I love now. Whether it's, whether it's a sport, a game, a hobby, uh, another person, whatever. There's other things now that are sort of taking the attraction away. And as much as I love God, I'm not going to talk about it as much. And so I've, I've sort of been persuaded and I've sort of changed how I'm going to show that, right? So when I sit here and say, what could possibly change my mind about loving God? Do you see how easy it is to change my mind about loving God? Maybe you get harassed at work. You got faith, you can't put your Bible out on your desk or something. I don't know, maybe somebody's telling you, you, you can't talk like that here. Why can't I talk like that? I love God. You can't, you can't talk about that here. It's against our, our work policy here. If you look at verse 32, Paul states that God did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. And if God's going to give up his one and only son, will he give up everything else? He, I mean, he loves us so much, he's chosen us for his own. God himself has given us this, this right standing now with himself. God's son, Jesus, died for us, was raised to life, and now he's sitting at the place of honor by God's right hand, basically pleading for us, and then this is how much God loves us, that he would do all of that. 
we're spiritually embraced by God. And Paul's convinced of this truth. And he believes it. And even in troubling times, he says, I've got to remind myself, and I want to remind all of you, you're embraced by God's love. No matter what you're going through. We're embraced by the love of God and the world is going to make you think otherwise. The world's going to try to whisper all kinds of of lies into your mind, try to infiltrate your thinking to make you believe, man, God maybe doesn't love me. You might hear the phrase, well, you're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You... How could God forgive you? That sin? No. Oh, I think somewhere in the Bible it says, if you keep on sinning, you're probably not a child of God. So that's probably not you, right? Those kind of thoughts ever infiltrate your mind? Try to knock you down? Try to separate you from the love of God? Or how about this one? Your pain is unrelievable. Your sickness is incurable. God must not be powerful. Otherwise, he wouldn't let some of you experience cancer in your life. Right, Tina? Tina's in the back here, and she just gets all this kind of news about cancer in her life, and she's like, I'm not done. God still loves me. Thank you, Tina, for having that attitude. There's, there's things that we go through life sometimes where it's like, well, if I'm going through this, where's the power of God? Maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe I should stop talking about Jesus in public because it's going to ruin my reputation, or I might get fired, or people are going to make fun of me. You ever get that whispered into your ears? Paul faced similar feelings. Unworthiness, pain, sorrow, persecution. And no matter what emotion Paul encountered or what pain Paul suffered or threat he faced, he was convinced, he was persuaded that God still embraces me with his love. Doesn't matter what's going on. I'm convinced And if you read Romans 8, 30 and 39, he starts listing all these things like, matter of fact, this can't separate me. This can't separate me from God's love. I mean, you take a look at it. First one he says is uh, mortal danger, dangerous circumstances. Uh, Can death separate us from God? God? Paul says that the love of God is so strong, even physical death cannot separate us from the divine love of God. Now listen, church, death may separate us from earth. Death may separate us from our loved ones, but death cannot separate us from the love of God. And then he goes on to say this, not just death, what about life? And not, you know, it's like he swings the pendulum in the other direction. Life can't separate us from God. Life circumstances, what are you going through? What situations are you facing? There's all these things that overwhelm us and it's easy to feel God must not be here. God must not love me because what I'm going through right now in my life circumstances, nobody else probably understands. And God's like, I understand and I love you. And that thing right there in your life does not separate you and I. My love, I've got you embraced. No room in there for whatever it is you're going on in your life. Not the end of your physical life or the complex issues of your present life. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Next, Paul says, no spiritual being. See what he put here? Good or bad? Neither one. He starts off with angels. We all know what angels, right? First thing you thought is what? Uh, A pudgy little baby with wings and a a bone arrow, right? That was the last thing you thought of an angel. A cupid, right? And then you think, oh, no, no, angels like uh, Christmas time. Or or angels like a a soldier with a flaming sword and a shield. We've got all kinds of ideas for angels, right? 
But here's the thing about the angels. The angel is a created being of God, created to faithfully serve God and worship God. Strong, powerful, brilliant. An angel cannot separate you from God's love. Again, let's go the other direction. How about demonic beings? Paul uses this word here for demons. It's the same word he uses in Ephesians chapter 6 when he's talking about spiritual warfare. In that passage, he describes the rank and the file of Satan's kingdom. This word depicts basically an entire group of high-ranking demon spirits that have held their position of power ever since most ancient times. And Paul says, those demonic powers can't separate you from God's love. Angels, demons, you pick whichever angelic, demonic thing you can think of cannot separate you from God's love. Paul also mentions in here, the powers of hell can't separate us from God. I love finding the word power in Scripture because when I find that word power in Scripture, I, I sometimes will try to look up to see if the Greek word is. If it's dunamis, it's, it's where we derivate our word from uh, dynamite. And so it's like, oh, this is powerful. This is explosive power, right? So when I see this word, I try to look for it. And this word here is even used to describe maybe the powerful governments of men. Paul's been arrested. He's been bound in chains. He's been restricted by evil governments on many occasions. A lot of powerful people out there were trying to keep him from doing what God called him to do. And you know what? That can't separate you from God's love. Can't. A jail cell may have separated Paul from other believers, but it did not separate him from the love of God. Even when he's in the, the darkest, most gruesome prison cell, he maybe felt like he was alone, but he knew he was not alone. God's love still embraced him. So along with these things, he lets us know that, that nothing currently exists that can basically prevent a person from experiencing God's love. Are you seeing this so far in this? The things that you're currently facing, the things that are going to occur, as he goes on to say here, things you haven't even happened in your life yet. So basically Paul's saying, you know those things you worry about, those things that make you anxious, that can't separate you from the love of God. He's boldly declaring that nothing that can happen in the future will ever separate you from God's love. You've been embraced. He goes on to say in verse 39, no power in the sky or, or in the earth below. So he starts off going, let's see, how, how high can we go? It's like, it's like heavens and the galaxies and the stars and, and millions of light years away, right? And it's like, go as far as you want, okay? Oh, and go to the deepest darkest part of any ocean you can. So you've you got the height, you got the depth. Okay, nothing in between here and there and it can't separate you from God's love. Let, you know, let's just extend this out, right? And to make sure absolutely everything is included in Paul's list, look what he says next in the scripture. Nothing in all creation. It's like I'm running out of things that I can put here to describe what can separate us from God's love. So let's just run with this. Nothing in all creation. So you come up with something, that's in my list right there. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing has the power, nothing has the ability, the capacity to separate us from this relationship with God, his love for us. <clears throat> now, Paul's convinced of this, right? That's how he started this verse. I'm convinced, I'm fully persuaded that neither death nor life or the complications of everything that goes on in life, 
powerful angelic beings, demonic beings, um, higher-ranking beings, whatever they might be, anything that currently exists, anything that could potentially happen in the future, uh, anything that's high above or, or way below, anything in all creation, nothing can separate me from God's embrace of love. Nothing. You know why we need to hear that this morning, church? Because some of us sometimes tinker with the thought that maybe God doesn't love me. Or maybe God doesn't love this world. Look around. Hurricanes. Uh, the earthquakes in Turkey, where tens of thousands of people have died. Unbelievable. How, how could God let that happen, right? The wars in Russia and Ukraine, world events, pandemics. It's like, can that separate us from God's love? No. Cancer. Death, car accidents. Can those things separate us from God's love? No. Injury, sickness, surgeries. Can any of those things separate us from God's love? No. Divorce, breakups, rejection, arguments, disagreements, feuds between family, couples who just can't get along with each other anymore. Can that separate you from God's love? No. How about failure? How about loss? Where have you blown it lately? Any mistake you keep making? Can that separate you from God's love? Let me try to say this again, as I've said it multiple times. You walk out of here this morning, I hope you get this phrase. Nothing can separate us from God's love. His embrace is too great. Never forget that message. Paul proclaimed it. Nothing in the world can disconnect you from the love of God. God's love is greater than you can ever imagine. And we live in a world where I think we don't hear that enough. We need to be reminded that God loves us and he wants to embrace us with that love. And regardless of what you're going through in your life today, and you're starting to doubt some of that, I want you to be fully convinced of it. Put the doubt aside. Be fully convinced. And like I said, the tense that Paul was saying, it was almost like he's like, I'm still convinced. You're going to have something come at you today, probably. Maybe tomorrow. And you're going to say, God, you love me? Sorry, God, you love me. And I'm convinced of that. This moment is challenging. But I'm fully convinced, God, that you love me. Worship team, would you come forward, please? <clears throat> During the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of England, he sends a soldier to die because he had done some crimes and uh, he was in trouble. So the execution was going to take place in the early evening hours when the curfew bell would ring. Now, that evening when the bell was supposed to ring, for some reason as he's there before the firing squad, the bell didn't sound. See, what had happened was the soldier's fiance, who loved him dearly, climbed up in the bell tower and she wrapped herself around the clapper of the bell. So when that clapper would go up against the side of the bell and make a gong noise, she was holding on to it. And so she was getting beaten on the side as it was swinging, but it would not make the gong sound because she had deafened the sound. He never got shot that evening because the bell never rang. The, uh, the director, the Lord Protector Cromwell, summoned her forward, brought her in for what she had done now. And when she showed up and 
She showed her bleeding arms and hands. His heart was touched. And he said, your fiance will live because of your sacrifice. Curfew will not ring tonight. And just as she embraced that clapper to keep her fiance alive and she took the beating, Christ embraced the cross and got bloodied for us and took the beating. And because of that, death cannot ring a bell because Christ has saved us. That's the embrace of our Savior. He embraced that moment so that we can embrace the love of God. Would you stand, please? Because of the love of God that embraces us, no matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, no matter what's going in life, no matter what's coming your direction, church, understand this. You are embraced by the God of this universe and nothing can separate you from that love. Nothing. We need that, we need that truth. We need to remember this because as we go through the next few months and we prepare for Easter that's coming, Easter will mean more to you when you understand the depth of his love for you. It changes how you love him and how you show that love for him. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for your love. I'm thankful that we can be embraced by this inseparable love. And I thank you, Lord, for the conviction in the, of, of Paul as he wrote this in Romans. Is for him to say, I'm, I'm, I'm fully convinced. And he had gone through so much and was still going to go through so much more. But yet even what he had gone through... I'm sure he had those rough moments, but he was convinced nothing could separate your love from him. And Heavenly Father, I want the same attitude. I want to be able to stand up in front of this church and say, I am fully convinced that nothing can separate me from God's love. And when things come my way and things come the way, <clears throat> the way of the people in this church, Lord, I pray that they're able to say, and I'm able to say, God, I don't like what's going on, but I'm convinced that nothing can separate me from your love. And God, with that love, help us to love others. Help us to love others. God, thank you again for loving us. Thank you for this truth. I want to sing to you now, Lord. In our name we pray, amen.